Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the cross church. Okay, we are in the series. From the garden to the grave, we are moving, ladies and gentlemen, through the Old Testament, and we are taking a look at just how God dealt with His people. We have seen it all. We have already heard it all. We saw Adam and Eve. They fell. We then moved into Abraham and the beautiful covenant that God had with Abraham. We saw, the Isra- we saw Joseph. We had an incredible story about him. We saw the Israelites find themselves in Egypt and how God delivered them through Moses. Last week, we spoke a little bit about how the Israelites completely lost their way. And within one generation, they completely forgot about the goodness of the Lord. Isn't that just absolutely crazy? One generation, they completely forget. And now we are officially moving into First and Second Samuel. Um, an interesting thing for you to know about First and Second Samuel is originally it was written as one book, not as two, but we have got them as two books. And what we are going to see today is the following. We are going to see how Israel moves from being a bunch of tribes overseen by judges to being a united kingdom ruled by a king. This is officially the moment where Israel now has a king. So without further ado, let's dive into it. 1 Samuel 8 verses 6 to 9, and this is what happens. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased the prophet Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not that they have rejected you, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So the people of Israel come to Samuel the prophet and they essentially say to him, listen, we want to be like all the other nations. Isn't this just the saddest thing you've ever seen in your entire life? Here we have the chosen people that has God as their king leading them and guiding them and delivering them. And they are looking at what other people have and they go, we want to be like those other tribes. We want a human king. So God essentially says to Samuel, here's the deal. I will allow you to give them what they are asking for. And just a little side note here. This is how the Lord will work with all of us in our lives too. There will be times in your life where you will want to do something and you just know in your heart of hearts that the Holy Spirit is against it. You can feel it. But then you will push and then you will push and then you will push and then you will push. And finally God goes, okay. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to do the worst thing to you now that I can possibly do to you. You know what that is. I'm going to let you make decisions in your own life for five minutes, and then we're going to see where that takes you, right? So God essentially lets us over to ourselves eventually, but he says to Samuel, before we go and anoint a king, you need to tell them the consequences of what it will be like to have a human king. And God goes on to tell Samuel that the minute you have a human king in place, 
Your men will be in wars and they will die and they will suffer. Understand that the minute you have a human king in place, your women will be put to work and they will suffer. Understand that the minute you put a human king in place, you are going to be taxed, hallelujah, like you've never been taxed before, right? And God says, listen, I will give you what you're asking for, but you need to know the consequences of what it means to have human hands lead you and guide you. The Israelites listen to all of this and they go, yep, check, 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 sign the contract. We hear what you're saying, Lord, but we still want a human king. I uh, was reading this in the week and it just, it, it, it just reminded me, this scenario where Israel is asking for a human king reminded me so much of how we are as people, right? It is such an incredible reflection of the struggle I feel like every single one of us has as individuals. I believe that every single one of us will have these moments where we go back to God and we go, Lord, we love the idea of you being in charge, but honestly, we actually want to be in charge. So Father God, please, will you just let your hands off of the situation? I want to be in control of my own life. I want to be in control of my own destiny. Please, can you just let me do that? But I believe the Lord says this, and we, we read it in Galatians. If you walk in the flesh, you will reap the fruit of the flesh, which is absolute destruction. But when you walk in the Spirit, in other words, when you allow Him to be the King of your life, you will reap the rewards of the Spirit. You see, there is something comforting and there is something nice about knowing that you are the person that is in control of your own life. There's something a little unsettling about releasing control to God. But when you take control of your own life, you are now the person calling the shots. And unfortunately, you are a flawed individual with flawed plans. So what we see happening is, is that God then goes and he anoints a man called Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. It doesn't go all that well. And then we get to one of my favorite characters, probably in all of Scripture. After King Saul, we have the anointing of King David. We love King David. He is absolutely awesome. And I want to show you what the Bible says about this King David. Acts 13 verses 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. We are going to take a look at King David. And man, there's a, there's a lot of compliments, I believe, that we can have in Scripture. But I don't know that anything for me rings more true than this idea of being a man or a woman after God's own heart. Whenever I read that about David, I go, you know what, the, the deepest longing, the deepest yearning within me is I would like to be a person that is a person after God's own heart. I want to carry the same heart that God carries. As we go through David's story this morning, you're going to see that David was by no stretch of the imagination a perfect person. David made mistakes. David did not have all the answers, but in spite of that, David is still called a man after God's own heart. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take three moments out of David's life. Let's call them seasons. 
We're going to take three seasons out of David's life. And I believe that every single one of us sitting in these chairs today, everybody watching online today, at some point or another, you are going to find yourself in a similar season to one of these seasons that David is in. And I want to show you this morning what it looks like to be a person after God's own heart when you are faced with some of these seasons of life. Are you ready for this this morning? All right. So let's dive into it. The first season I want to look at is the I am a nobody season of life. I am a nobody season of life. We are all going to go through the I am a nobody season of life. Some of us went through that season when we were younger. Some of us went through that season once. It all fell apart. We had to relocate. And then we had to go through that season again. Maybe you find yourself in that I am a nobody Nobody sees me, nobody notices me, season of your life right now as you sit here. I want you to look at what happens when Samuel first anoints King Saul. So we've got King Saul, who was the first, uh, the first person that was anointed as the king, and then we go to King David. But listen to what it says here about Saul. 1 Samuel 9 verses 2, Kish had a son named Saul as handsome as young men as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anybody else. The Bible says that the first king of Israel was tall, dark, and handsome. Kind of like me, two out of three ain't bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This guy looked the part. He acted the part. He smelt the part. He had a nice little, you know, Kahlua, the deodorant on him. Everything about this guy from the outward, seemed to be the perfect expression of what success was, what a champion was, what the king of Israel should be. Israel goes to God and they say, we want a human king, but we're not just looking for any human king. We're looking for somebody that looks impressive on the outside. And God then goes and he anoints King Saul. But as we are going to see a little bit later today, King Saul ends up being an absolute disaster. It does not matter that he looks the part on the outside. It does not matter that he has the stature on the outside. On the inside, he is not the person that he needs to be. We fast forward a little bit, and we now find King David and what it looks like when he gets anointed. 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 to 7. Check this out. And the prophet goes to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and Ejab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This morning, if you're sitting in this place and you find yourself in your I am a nobody season, and you find yourself in a place where nobody sees me or notices season, I want to tell you that God does not look as man looks, but God looks to the heart. He sees on the inside. He looks beyond the outward appearances. I think it's completely and utterly normal and natural 
for all of us to have an idea in our own minds of what a successful person looks like. We've got it on the inside of us. We think we know what it looks like. We think we know what it should be. We think to ourselves that success is a tall, handsome, gifted, talented person that everybody notices, that everybody's crazy about. And then we look at ourselves, and what we want to do is, is we want to disqualify ourselves from what God has called us into because we look at ourselves from the way that the man would look at the outward appearance. God does not look at the outward. God is not concerned about how fancy your outward circumstances look. God is concerned about who you are, and He's concerned about how you conduct yourself when you are in your nobody season. I want to show you something that I find absolutely incredible about David. And um, what we know about David is, is that when the prophet comes to anoint the next king of Israel, David is not even invited to the meeting. David is left out with the sheep outside there. Um, finally, when the prophet goes through all the brothers, he goes, is there another one somewhere? They finally call in David. Nobody even thought that he should be in the meeting. He then gets anointed as the next king of Israel. But the next moment we see that there's this giant Goliath who is taking on the armies of Israel. And now all of a sudden, this young boy David finds himself in a situation where he has to go fight this big bad guy in front of everybody. And I want you to see what David says. This for me is absolutely key this morning in having the kind of attitude that I believe the Lord requires from us. 1 Samuel 17, 32 to 36, David said to Saul, this is King Saul at the time, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and has been a warrior from your youth. And this guy has been a warrior from his youth. Saul is judging David based upon his outward appearance. But David said to Saul, your servant, listen to this, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord, listen to this, who rescued me. From the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The same David that is willing to lose his life and serve this to his country in front of a worldwide televised audience is the same David who was willing to lose his life for a couple of sheep when no one was watching. Whether David was the king of Israel or a shepherd boy in the wilderness made no difference. Everything he did, he did with all of his might for the Lord. That is the heart that the Lord is looking for. I want to tell you this morning that it is your private service and it is your private devotion that will determine your public victories. I love how the Bible says that it was David's moments and David's time in the wilderness when no one was watching, when no one was there to tweet about it, 
to Instagram about it, to take a photo about it, when nobody cared, little King David was willing to lay down his life for a bunch of sheep. And it's that same attitude that carries David all the way through to the moment when he actually becomes the king of Israel. I want to tell you this morning that it's not about being seen. It's about your faithfulness to the Lord. And maybe right now you're in a season in your life where you're feeling frustrated because you're doing what the Lord has asked you to do, but it just feels like there's no results. It feels like nobody notices. It feels like nobody sees you. But I want to tell you that the the heart that God is looking for is the heart that serves Him faithfully even when nobody else is watching. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor for a very big church in South Africa, we had a kid in our youth ministry who actually came through a program where he was a street kid and he then became very involved in youth group and the church actually employed a bunch of kids from the shelter to clean the venue when we weren't using the venue. And I'll never forget one day I came to the youth venue. It was a Friday night. It was late. Nobody knew I was there. I was sort of going into the back office. And as I come out of my office, there is this kid on the stage with a broomstick by himself in an empty room preaching. And boy, was he preaching. You think this is good. Well, buddy, you should have seen this. I mean, he just, he asked for people to come to the front and four chairs came to the front and bowed down, right? One point there was fire, there was lightning. Um, It was unbelievable to watch this young kid, but that was his heart. Whether he was asked to clean the floors or do a testimony, he did it with all of his heart. And today he's actually the youth pastor of one of the biggest churches in South Africa because he was devoted to the Lord even in his season of being a nobody and he did it to the best of his potential. David's trust in the Lord empowered him to serve God with absolute devotion, no matter how big or small or how public or private his situation was. Be faithful to the Lord in the small and allow Him to exalt you. Next thing that I want to look at in David's life, first season we looked at was when you are in your nobody season. The next season we are all going to find at some point is my life is falling apart season. (laughs) The question, let me put it to you this way. The question is not whether you are going to go through difficult times or not. The question is how are you going to respond when difficult times happen? Here goes young David and he gets anointed to be now the king of Israel. He goes down and he defeats Goliath. Everything is just rocking and rolling in David's life. But then, just as quickly as things get good, all of a sudden things get bad. A bunch of people are found singing songs in a bar down the road where they sing songs about how David is great and Saul is not great. This gets captured on film. It gets put on YouTube. And one night, King Saul is chilling in his chamber and he's watching YouTube shorts and he literally sees this. 1 Samuel 18, verses 7 to 9. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. That's good. That's, that's a vibey tune. David has his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This is why I'm telling you, get off of social media. It's just going to make you angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. 
but me with only thousands. This is ridiculous. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Eventually what happens is, is David now is on the run in the wilderness. He's got the king of Israel now that wants to kill him. So here's David. This is a guy that's killed lions. He's killed bears. He killed the biggest, baddest dude in all of Philistine. He's a guy that's done things. He's experienced things. But now he is facing the biggest test and the biggest trial of his life as he has the king of Israel hunting him down, wanting to murder him out of jealousy. David is in the test and trial of his life. How does David respond to this? I want to show you an incredible moment. In 1 Samuel 24, verses 8, this is so beautiful and this is so powerful. This is now whilst David is on the run and Saul is trying to kill him, watch what happens. David literally finds Saul one night sleeping um, outside of a cave. David gets all the way to where Saul is. And instead of taking Saul's life, David cuts a piece of his garment off, right? All of David's people are upset because they go, you had the opportunity to kill this guy who wants to kill you, but David does not do it. Listen to what David says. This is powerful. 1 Samuel 24 verse 8, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen When men say, David is bent on harming you, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hurting me. Uh, You are hunting me down to take my life. Listen to this because this is where it gets really good. Listen to what David says. Listen to this perspective. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my, listen to this, but my hand will not touch you, says David. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. David has an opportunity right here in this moment to stop all the craziness. He's on the run. He's under pressure. He's got this crazy king who's trying to take his life. He has an opportunity to to end all of the suffering in one foul blow, but David chooses not to do it. He chooses to not involve his own hands in the process. And he actually says that I will not put a hand on you. If I've said this once, I believe I've said it a million times from this platform, but I believe fully with all of my heart that sin happens when we try to deliver ourselves. Sin happens in your life when you try to solve a problem in your life that only God can ultimately solve. And I can tell you this right now. Tests and trials are going to come in your life. There are going to be moments where things just don't go the way you planned it to go. There are going to be moments when things just aren't perfect. And in those moments, guess who's going to show up? The enemy is going to show up. The devil is going to show up. 
And what he's going to do is, is he's immediately going to show you a solution to the problem you're facing. He's going to give you a, he's going to give you a shortcut. He's going to give you a counterfeit solution to the solution that the Lord would have for you. We see this in the wilderness with Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, and immediately the enemy comes to him and goes, Jesus, you've got a problem in your life right now, and that is your stomach is empty. Can't you just turn these stones into bread and immediately fill that stomach of yours that is hungry? Here is the solution to your problem. All that suffering, all that pain, all that uncomfort can go away immediately. All you need to do, though, is one tiny little thing. You've got to sacrifice your integrity in order for you to fulfill the need in front of you. I want to tell you that that is exactly what is going to happen to you. You're going to find yourself in situations where the need in front of you is going to be screaming so loudly and so in your face that you're going to feel like you need to meet that need with everything you have. And it's at that exact moment that the enemy will come and present you the perfect opportunity to meet that need. The only thing is this, though. You have to compromise somewhere with something. And David finds himself in this situation. Right there. There's the problem lying there. I can solve every problem of my life. All I have to do is to take this man's life. And David says, I will not use these hands to solve this problem because the Lord is the one that will do the work on my behalf. And that is what the heart of God looks like in those moments when we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. It's in those moments where we allow the Lord to stand on our behalf. It's in those moments where we reflect His heart. I remember when I first finished Bible school, this is now many, many years ago, I was under tremendous pressure to get a job. Um, my parents were sort of on me. They were like, listen, we get it. You're, you're doing this Bible thing. It's awesome. We don't fully understand what you're trying to do here. But okay, cool, you're doing this thing. But the minute you graduate from Bible school, you have to find a career. You have to find a job. You have to go do something with your life. You can't just continue to be in fairyland. You actually have to go do something with your life. And I felt called to ministry. I felt called by God to be in ministry. But at that point in the game, my church basically came back and said, listen, um, you're not the guy. Like, we just don't have anything for you at this point. So you need to go figure out whatever it is that you need to go figure out. So I had that information from the church. I had pressure on me, but I knew in my heart what I believe God had called me to. And then the opportunity came. I was given an opportunity to do a job where I could earn really good money and I could find some purpose in my life and I could move forward in my life. My parents would be happy. Everybody would be happy. There was only one little problem with the job, one insy, teensy, tiny little problem. Um, I would never be able to go to church on Sundays. That's it. Mark, here it is. Here is the solution to all your problems, my man. Only one little thing. You have to compromise on the very thing you feel called to do with your life. If you'll do that, you can have the job. I did what I always do, and I disappointed everybody in my life, and I said yes to the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I said no to the job. I said there's no ways. I can't do this. And it wasn't a couple of months later that the church came back to me and said, listen, a whole bunch of weird stuff has happened. Now you are the guy that is going to get the job. But don't compromise in those moments when the pressure is on and when the heat is on. David's trust in the Lord empowered him to do the right thing and to have integrity 
under very difficult circumstances. Be faithful to the Lord and allow Him to deliver you. So as we move on with our story here, we're going to go into the last phase that I want to point out in David's life. And um, it's, it's a funny story, but it ends up that Saul actually dies at his own hand. Saul gets injured in battle and he falls on his own sword. So David never has to lift a finger against Saul. Not only does God solve David's problem, but God saves David's problem and David keeps, gets to keep his character and his integrity. We will then see David to go on and become one of the greatest kings that uh, Israel has ever had. David would unite Israel. David would conquer Jerusalem. David gave the ark a home in Jerusalem. David is an incredible king, a powerful king. He is everything everybody was hoping for until one day David would end up making a very, very big mistake. David finds himself on the roof of the castle, just chilling out. And um, he sees a lady named Bathsheba. The irony here is that there's actually a bath in her name, Bathsheba. She was taking a bath. David takes a look when he should have actually been somewhere else. And yada, 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 David ends up uh, committing adultery, murder, a whole bunch of terrible things happen. Here is this David who has all this integrity who's this incredible man of God, who has this heart after God's own heart, but now all of a sudden he finds himself in incredible sin, incredible shame, and he makes this massive mistake. And it's a good reminder to all of us that none of us are ever in a position where we are not potentially at a place where we can fall. We can fall. doesn't matter how strong you think you are. doesn't matter how much you think you've accomplished in your life. At any moment, it is possible for us to fall and we see this happening with David, but I want you to look at something here. Let's take a look at how David responds in his season of life when he messes up big time. David messes up big time. It's interesting to read that both David and Saul make mistakes, but the difference between David and Saul happens when it comes to when they are confronted with their sin. When Saul disobeyed the Lord's direct command, the prophet Samuel goes to confront Saul in his sin. Rather than owning up to his sin, Saul tries to justify his actions. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 15, 17 to 21. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, this is speaking to King Saul, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. But why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did not obey the Lord. I did not obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul goes on to make excuses for his disobedience. Rather than owning his sin and asking for forgiveness, in pride he follows the footsteps of Adam and argues that the sin is not that big of a deal. He points the finger at everybody else rather than pointing it at himself. I wish I could stand on this platform this morning and tell you that I don't do the exact same thing. I do the exact same thing. 
There are moments where I find myself doing things that I know are not the right things. There are moments I find myself sinning against the Lord. And in those moments, the temptation is for me to blame everybody else and to come up with every excuse in the book for why what I did was actually justified. I can even take it a step further than Saul. There are times where I will even blame the Lord for why it is I'm doing what I'm doing. But let's look at David's response to his sin. David too would commit some horrific sins, but his response is very different from Saul. Just as the prophet Samuel confronted Saul in his sin, the prophet Nathan would confront David. When the prophet calls David out for his idolatry and conspiracy of murder, David immediately responds. Look at this. 2 Samuel 12, verses 11 to 13. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You, what you did in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Listen to David's response to this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David takes ownership of his sin rather than making excuses. Um, in Psalm 51 verse 3, David writes about how he feels, and this is what he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David owns his sin and is truly broken. He lays himself bare before the Lord, asking for forgiveness and restoration. The question this morning is not, will I ever sin again? The answer is, you absolutely will. Both Saul and David made massive mistakes, yet one was broken over his sin and the other was apathetic. One was a man after God's own heart, the other a failed and tragic king. As you look at the sin in your life, are you responding like Saul or like David? Do not attempt to justify your sinful actions own up to them and fall on your face before your God. Plead for mercy and grace. Confess your spiritual poverty. It is when we are broken that God will heal. He will take our filthy rags and give us riches of Christ. He will forgive our sin and clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. David's trust in the Lord empowered him to be honest about his shortcomings and his need for forgiveness. Be faithful to the Lord and allow Him to restore you. David, in every single season of his life, there is consistency. Whether David is the king, whether David is the shepherd, whether David finds himself in tests and trials, whether David finds himself in sin, it doesn't matter where David seems to find himself, there is a consistency to David's heart and I want to sum up this message this morning by giving you a little insight into how David viewed everything. 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 to 3. And David says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior from violent people. You have saved me. In all things, at all times, in all seasons, David always had the same attitude. He fundamentally believed that God was his rock, his fortress, and his deliverer. He fundamentally believed that God was his stronghold, his refuge, and his savior. David is a man after God's own heart 
because God, because David trusted in the Lord. David trusted in the Lord when things were going well. David trusted in the Lord when things were going bad. David trusted in the Lord with everything he had and every season that he was in. What does it look like to be a man after God's own heart, a man or a woman? It's not about being perfect. It's not about having all the answers. It's about being dependent upon Him in every season of your life. And when we live in that space of dependency, that is when God will say, you are a man and a woman after my own heart. 